the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. Get ready to take notes because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin. And welcome to Education America, where we are taking steps to save the classroom so that we can save the country. Come along with us, K-12 Education is the playing field, and as the 16th President Abraham Lincoln succinctly stated, he said, quote, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Well, I want to turn to our co-host and founder, rather, of Liberty Classical Academy, Rebecca Hagstrom, where tonight we want to share the Liberty Classical Academy story, a tried and true classical Christian education program that is guaranteeing a quality education for K-12 through students. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Mark. It's always nice to be together. Yes, it is. Another yeah. Saturday night. The weather has finally warmed I up. I think we've finally turned the corner. Yes. Let's enjoy it as much mm-hmm. as we can, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But we want to go back here just for a second and talk about um, some of the initial discussions we were having as we relaunched the program a couple of weeks ago. You had shared with our listeners the issues that you saw emerging in education, both locally and nationally. In fact, these issues were frustrating. I mean, they were frustrating your family as it affected their view of school. And as someone who's raised uh, to place high priority on a quality mm-hmm. education, these issues, they moved your heart to start Liberty Classical Christian K-12 through school. Mm-hmm. And I, I would like you to take some moments here just to tell the story of how Liberty Classical Academy was founded. Yeah, sure. I always like reflecting on the story because it is such a God story, I have to say. Um, and and you're right, it does actually date back to the fact that I was raised in a family that put a high premium on education. My parents always said education is one of the greatest gifts they can give their children. Mm-hmm. And so being raised with that notion um, and with my background in speech pathology, I had a master's degree in speech pathology by the time my um, oldest son entered kindergarten. And so I recognized when education wasn't what it should be. And although we were in a very good public school district and um, we were very supportive, I'm still supportive of public schools, but um, we just assumed our kids would go through public schools. And But what we found, unfortunately, is that our son was just not being academically challenged. And by the time he reached third grade, we could see it wasn't going to change. And no matter how many conversations we had with the principal or with teachers, um, it just wasn't apparently going to change. So we ended up sending him to a college preparatory, a K-12 college preparatory school that was completely secular in nature. Again, we weren't looking for faith at that point. We were just completely wanting some um, challenging academics for our son. 
And we found the school and knew that um, it was going to be a great fit from an academic standpoint. We knew that it was secular and that was okay. We thought we'll work on the faith component at home. Um, but then after being there for a period of time, and actually we ended up spending nine years at that school, all of our children attended there for one period of time or another. Um, but after a while, we realized that the values that we were trying to teach our kids at home were not matching up with the values that they were trying to teach mm-hmm. at the school. Okay. And that frustrated us. We thought, you know, we really want to have all elements of our ch- of our children educated, not just their mind. We want their hearts and their soul, and we'd like it to coordinate it with what we're teaching at home. And I just want to interject something. You know, education, of course, it starts with the parents. It starts with the family unit, mm-hmm. okay? And I just can't even imagine what was the frustration like when a certain set of values were being taught in the classroom, and, and, and how did they then respond to the values from the Christian faith that you were trying to teach yeah. them at home? Was there just this big clash? or how Yeah, you... yeah. Well, the kids, the kids thankfully recognized when they were getting these values that were different from ours, and so usually they would come home and tell us about it, and they were young enough that they still told you. You know, the older sure. they get, yeah. the less likely they are to tell you, um, but they, they were still telling us, and they would tell us... Um, Especially my oldest son, you know, he would push back on some of these ideas. And in fact, okay. he actually graduated from that school. Um, and he said, Mom, I think he, he was dating a girl at the time. And he said, I think Carolyn and I are the only two conservatives in the entire high school. <laughs> <laughs> and it was probably That's true. Scary. It was probably <laughs> yeah. true, sadly. Um, but all that to say, he, yes, he did push back to the degree that he could. Um, you know, you have to be careful when you're in that environment. Um, but even even some of the math the way they taught math in the lower school to my um, second son, uh, I was surprised at how early this school was kind of advanced ahead of what the public schools were doing in that they were already subscribing to um, the gay straight Alliance, you know, at a very, uh, this was probably back in what I guess it would have been 2000, what, three, four, something like that. So long before or maybe 2005, long before um, the public schools were really, um, approaching that issue. Um, also, with respect to math, they were already addressing math from the perspective that there is no right answer in math. They were not teaching multiplication tables mm-hmm. for our second son when he was in fourth grade. Um, and, and I was just stunned by that, that, mm-hmm. that there, was, there was this idea that there's no right answer in math anymore. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. Um, so we saw this happening in the schools. Our kids recognized it too. And so we just are in our schools. So we decided to start looking at Christian schools thinking, well, maybe that's where we need to be. But then when we visited the Christian schools, um, we found the ones that we visited that we found, they were just not nearly as academically challenging as what we had grown accustomed to. And we thought, gosh, as Christians, we should be putting out some of the best educated kids in the nation. That's how we earn our voice in the culture. Um, so we ended up staying at that secular college prep program. And, uh, about a year later, I found an ad for a classical and Christian school in Rochester, Minnesota called Schaefer Academy. And I read the synopsis of the school and I could tell that they were exactly what we were looking for. I had never heard of classical at that point. Um, so I called the school and said, Hey, you know, do you have any schools up in the Twin Cities that are like this school? And she said, none that we know of, but the school was founded by six families and you can do it too. Mm. So that was really the impetus. And that was in 1999, I think it was, that I had first heard about that. So when I say 2000, did I say 2005? I actually mean 1993 
1995 when we were at that school okay. and they were already promoting those visions for um, social uh, change as well as math um, curriculum. So I was off by a decade there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, so yes, it was 1999 then by the time we discovered classical Christian education. And then we found some like-minded people and obviously it was a lot of work, but we ended up opening the school in the fall of 2003 with 28 kids in grades K through eight. We had all combined classes and okay. almost an entirely volunteer staff, but they were all qualified. That was one of my big things from the beginning. I said, this is a school of excellence. And so we will only put teachers in front of students teaching subjects that they are qualified to teach. Right. And that's a pretty big yeah. leap for 28 families, too, when there's this new experiment that's taking yeah. place. Yeah, you know, it was. Getting it was. to a whole new way of doing education, yeah. or at least revisiting back how it used to be. It was amazing, though. We knew within a yeah. month how special that school was. We could already see the difference in our children. See the results. Yes. Okay. And we were coming from all different backgrounds. We were coming from the high, highly academic prep, prep school and Others were coming, most of them were coming from um, public schools. A couple had come from another Christian school. Um, but bar none, we all knew that what our children were getting, even in that first couple of months, was better than what they had gotten elsewhere. Well, that's so wonderful. it was a that, wonderful gift. That leads us into our next question here. Now, define for the listeners the idea and purpose behind the Liberty Classical Academy program. What made it so special uh, so early on? Yeah. Well, you know, as a speech pathologist, I have a big, deep understanding of class or excuse me, of cognitive development. And that was one of the things that stood out to me the most as I started researching classical education was that a it was time tested. It had been around for centuries and it had really just been abandoned in the U.S. in the last, you know, 50 to 100 years at most. Um, so if people have heard of the term grammar schools that came out of the classical method, because the grammar schools are the elementary school years. So what's beautiful about classical education is that it coordinates just perfectly with a child's natural progression of cognitive development. So when the children are in those early elementary years or in the elementary K through five years, the students are like sponges. They memorize information very, very easily, but they're very concrete thinkers. They don't have that ability to think abstractly. And, um, so you take advantage of where they're at and you give kids the tools of all the different subjects. So we think of grammar as being the grammar of English, but there's the grammar of every subject, history, math, science, um, Latin in our case. And so you teach them the tools of those subjects through songs, chants, rhymes, sound offs, things that they don't mind repeating over and over and over. And you add actions and they enjoy doing it. So um, it's just a great experience for them. Um, and then when you get to the logic phase, kids are naturally becoming much more inquisitive. They want to know how and why. So there's where you introduce the formal research um, and they get their formal logic class. And then in the high school years, that's the rhetoric stage. And there the students are, cognitively speaking, they're able to think abstractly now at this point. And so now you want them to take a step back and not just understand a topic, but analyze and synthesize the information, form their own opinions, and then learn to communicate those opinions right. effectively. So you see the building blocks there and yeah. how it's just a continuous move in one direction. All yes, the way to the it is grade. a very um, consistent philosophy of education from preschool all the way on up through 12th grade. And it builds wisdom. You know, that's right. the goal of a classical education. It's not just to pass on knowledge. Sure. It is to create wise, deep thinking individuals who are prepared to be excellent citizens uh, regardless of what what career path they may go into or what 
level of college they go to, they're prepared for every level of college, okay. and and then they're prepared for life beyond. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to delve a little deeper here into what all of this looks like. Let's uh, just kind of shift our attention a little bit on what the school's view is of, an, of what the education looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we, I you know, as part of our classical education, uh, we teach the methods the way we did, uh, the way I just described, but then we teach Latin because Latin is one of the ancient languages, of course, and the English language, about 65% of it is based upon Latin, mm-hmm. and Latin is also a word or is not a word order dependent language, and so where English is, Latin is not, so not only do the kids have better vocabularies by having Latin, but they also have better problem-solving skills, better cognitive skills, because it is a more complex language to learn. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why we teach it. Um, But then we teach history sequentially, which is another distinctive of our program. So they get ancient history in first grade, medieval in second, renaissance in um, third, and modern in fourth. And then we repeat that sequence, grades five through eight, nine through 12, each time going deeper as we move into a different level of the classical education. Um, we also make sure that our students are getting a full plate of the humanities. So part of a classical education is that you get the art. We value art. We value music. We value fayed, um, history, English, literature, writing, grammar, um, math, science. We do ability grouping in math so that the kids can move at their own rate. Um, science, the students, we have a Ph.D. who runs our science program. And so the students can take um, advanced uh, biology, chemistry, physics in high school, and then they can take a college-level chemistry class their senior year of high school if they would like. So that's the beauty of classical education is that it really does value the whole plate of academics. It's not just a humanities. Some people think right. class because they, th- they associate classical education with the classics. And right. we do use classic books um, as part of our literature component. And, of course, in our history, we use original documents um, so we, we don't end up with revisionist history in a classical education. So we important use, to discern. <laughs> so Absolutely. especially these days. Um, so all that to say, people sometimes associate classical education with uh, the classics and the humanities, but a, a true classical education embraces math and science yeah. as part of it. Mm-hmm. And you are listening to Education America here on AM 1280 The Patriot, where we are discussing the founding and the story of Liberty Classical Academy. This is our fourth show in our relaunch. And you know, we've been talking a little bit about the different stages and why they're so important. Uh, Liberty Classical Academy is also a classical Christian school. And so how do you incorporate the Christian worldview within a classical education? Mm-hmm. And that is so important to us. Yes. And especially today, um, back when we started the school, you know, nearly 20 years ago, uh, as I said, we could see the difference in the values. Uh, but now the trajectory of those differences has only grown wider and wider and wider. Um, this gap between what we believe is important at, at Liberty Classical Academy and what we're seeing in the culture today. Um, so our students uh, don't just get Bible tacked on as a Bible class, although they do get Bible classes. Um, it's not just tacked on as a chapel or prayer. And this is where, again, the classical education is so important. We integrate it into every subject matter. So when the students are studying math, there's discussion about order and how God is a God of order and that two plus two is indeed always four. Um, 
un, unlike what the math programs are teaching today where they have so many different answers, they kind of want to teach kids that there is no right answer in math anymore. Just like I said, the teacher told And right me answers are deemed as school. racist, right? right. Yeah, these days, yeah. yes. And, and showing your work is deemed racist right now. Right. Um, so anyway, integrating that into math, we talk about order with science. We talk about, again, order, God's unchanging nature, the beauty of his creation, um, the complexity of God's creation, the complexity of a cell even, um, with, with English and with history, we're talking about it more from the perspective of, of people and events and God's hand across events of history, um, studying literature, we're looking at how does this particular author approach her topic. Um, Mrs. Struck, our high school English teacher, talks a lot about how Mary Shelley was um, from a secular uh, family and how when she wrote Frankenstein, her basis for this book is that he was born good, that he was a created being that was born good, that was corrupted by society. And that reflects a secular humanist perspective um, versus um, other books, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, obviously, that was written from a pure Favorite Christian home, yeah. um, perspective. And so they can talk about not just the authors, but then also within the context of literature, the the characters themselves and 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 how do they approach life and recognizing different worldviews in those characters. We also do teach the various Bible classes. One of the things that we believe at Liberty is that it's important for students to understand what they believe and why about the Christian faith. Yes. So we think it's important to expose them to other Christian, or excuse me, other worldviews other than the Christian worldview, and also other world religions other than Christianity. So they are exposed to Islam and um, uh, Hin- Hinduism, um, Buddhism. Buddhism, yes, all of those, Judaism, all of these different world religions, and they are taught to understand the key differences between those religions, and then also looking at various worldviews. What is the secular humanistic worldview? What is a postmodern worldview? How does that relate to the Christian worldview? And so, again, the goal being that they would understand what they believe and why, um, and that they would own their faith, their Christian faith, by the time they graduate. Absolutely. Um, we've we've talked a little bit here tonight just about the three stages of classical education. Um, again, we've talked about grammar, we've talked about logic and rhetoric. You know, let's delve a little deeper into the grammar stage. You did allude to the fact that this isn't just talking about English or, you know, mm-hmm. diagramming sentences. It goes much deeper than that. Why is it so important in the education of a young child? Mm-hmm. Well, it goes back to Piaget's theory of cognitive development, which talks about what kids how kids learn at various stages in life. And again, the reason why that grammar stage is so important, and I think it's rather interesting because one of the things we're seeing in our culture is that that grammar stage is in some ways getting forgotten um, in the in the, in the the name of trying to uh, develop critical thinking skills. Um, this is something that we've been hearing across the culture from all different um Sources, you know, especially college professors, but even even uh, business leaders saying kids don't know how to write well. They have poor vocabulary. They um, they don't know how to think critically about topics. And so the general education establishment's answer to that has been to try to bring those skills down into younger and younger years to the point where in lower school now for for 20 years, 
we've had inventive spelling because, oh, well, we want to make sure that the kids learn to write and that they love writing. What's inventive spelling? Inventive spelling is where you, you tell the kids not to worry about how words are spelled and just do it, write it out the way it sounds. Oh, okay. And you'll see this in a lot of schools, both public and private. It's very common um, because the idea is, well, we want kids to love writing, right? And of course we want kids to love writing. But what happens in that case is, oh, they might write a fun little story and they're going to make a book and isn't that cute? But if it's being done at the expense of not teaching kids spelling rules, phonics rules, right. um, what is a topic sentence, what is, um, you know, what are punctuation marks, which sadly, the more time you spend on just letting kids write for fun, mm -hmm. the less time there is left in that English period to make sure that the kids are learning the the basic tools. Remember I talked about grammar stage being teaching the tools of each subject. Okay. So um, it's really important at the grammar stage to teach kids the basics of each of the subject areas so that they really are prepared then for the next levels. They can't form their opinions in lower school. And yet you see a lot of that in our education as well. Oh, you know, asking fourth and fifth graders, well, you know, what do you think about um, actually, one of our founders, um, Lisa Trelevin, her, her son, had been asked to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and what his opinion was on it when he was only in sixth grade. Mm. And that is not a grammar stage or even a logic stage activity. That is a rhetoric stage activity. Right. You have to know the grammar of, of what is that conflict to begin with. Um, and then have to fully understand how it came about before you can really have an opinion on it that's worthwhile. Right. And, and just going mm -hmm. backwards a little bit to the spelling aspect of things, you know, it almost erases, okay, this is truth and this is not in regards right. to how a word right. is spelled. That's a good point. It's all about sounds, but then sounds can become subjective as well, yeah. too, especially if people are trying to take part in this education from different backgrounds or cultures. And yeah. I could see where that would be quite yes. the mess. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It is. Let's go to logic stage now. Yeah. Um, what's, what, what does that serve in a classical Christian education? Um, well, again, this this part of the, the program is probably a little bit more understandable to common, um, you know, people who are familiar with just traditional in, uh, education in America because the focus of the stage is understanding. So um, we introduce the formal research at the sixth grade level. Like I said, they write their first formal research paper in sixth grade. They have to do it on a historical topic um, so that they are integrating, again, the English and the history. Um, we want them to understand everything about what they're learning. So if they're learning about, you know, the history of um, Nazi Germany, you know, let's say in eighth grade, modern history, um, we want them to understand what led up to it. We know that World War One contributed to World War Two, right, especially the development of Nazi Germany. And so we want to make sure that the kids understand the background of what they are learning, why things happened. Um, we do introduce some debate in the middle school, especially in eighth grade. That's when they get their formal logic class. So that's where they learn what fallacies are and how to recognize them, mm -hmm. um, how to put together a cogent argument. Um, but but uh, they'll also will have them write from the perspective of a historical or literary figure. Uh, again, because, you know, if you have to write a letter as though you were um, someone in the Civil War, let's say you're going to write home to your parents and you right. were a soldier in the Civil War mm -hmm. and you have to include, you know, what battle you were just in and how it went and about, you know, what is this war about? And so it gives we have creative ways of, of having the students do exercises that 
demonstrate what they understand about what it is that they're studying. Oh, that's neat. Yeah. That's and neat. and with, <laughs> with the literature, too, in starting in middle school, and then this carries on into high school, their literature forms the foundation of their writing. So we don't have a separate writing class and a separate literature class. They, they have um, literature and writing all together in one class and their grammar, too. And so um, it gives the teachers the opportunity then to have the students write using various types of writing methods on whatever literature piece that they are reading, which then ties to whatever historical time period that they are studying. So that's where we get that integration. Integration and, and relevancy mm-hmm. for the specific time yeah. period that's and, being studied. And by yeah. the way, we do that with art as well. Art integrates also yep. with the historical time period that we're studying. And she also integrates Christian worldview in. So it's pretty amazing. Um, just the integration is what really is so distinctive. It's what, well, there's so many distinctives, but that's one of the one of the really ex- important ones. Right. And just listening to you tonight, you can certainly again see just how the pieces build upon one another. Yeah. And that's. That's an education. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so after eighth grade, a Liberty student moves on from the logic stage to the rhetoric stage. Mm-hmm. This is really the culmination of the classical Christian academy experience. What role does rhetoric stage serve mm-hmm. in a classical Christian education? Yeah, and again, this this one is more distinctive. Again, as I said, the middle school might be more typical of a t- traditional American education. The rhetoric stage in a classical program is less traditional. So what you're going to see is a lot more discussion and debate. Almost all the learning takes place through discussion and debate. The teacher is going to present some information, some material. Um, but we now, now that they have the ability to think abstractly, now we're going to make greater use of the Socratic method. Um, we're going to be asking the students to have to analyze and synthesize whatever it is that they are learning. Mm-hmm. And then now they have to also form opinions about what they're learning, whether they're in a debate or whether they're in a discussion or whether they're writing a paper. Um, their research paper is no longer just a simple research paper starting in ninth grade. They have to write a thesis paper. So they have to prove a point. Mm-hmm. And that's harder because you have to use your skills of logic mm-hmm. um, and your ability to create excellent arguments and pick good arguments from bad arguments. And um, so this the thing I love about the classical method is that most high schools today, both public and private, um, their only rigor is the AP classes. And the AP classes are about an inch deep and a mile wide. They're, they're shallow. They move quickly, and that's what makes them difficult. But a classical education, we're able to go deep into those topics. So the kids really do learn how to think, mm-hmm. and um, that's where you really get the critical thinking skills right. is by going – through this classical process. Right. And going through the junior thesis and the senior thesis, again, we're wanting to build critical thinking skills. That's yeah. the objective. Disseminating yep, yep. information and doing so. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the drawing points for my family, I know, as we enrolled our, our children at Liberty, uh, was just how LCA students are comparing favorably well when pitted against students from public schools when it comes to standardized test results. Mm-hmm. Share with our listeners here as we wrap up uh, the successes that LCA students enjoy on these standardized yeah. tests. Yeah, so we have been giving the Stanford 10, which is a nationally normed um, achievement test, grades K through 8. We actually are just switching over to the ERB test this year. Um, but our students stop top, or score um, on average in the top uh, 25% of the nation or top 30% of the nation on average um, many classes actually score much higher than that. Um, then when you look at our ACT and SAT scores, our students score even you know higher. They're in the top 13% of the nation on the ACTs. So our average ACT score in the last couple of years was 28 and 29. 
compared to Minnesota's average, which was, I think, 22 and a half last yes. year. And um, national average is 21. So these, these um, students are prepared for college, but it's not just their test scores. They're prepared to think, and they are wise. And teachers um, see that they stand out at the college level. And actually, we even hear that they stand out at their work um, when they go on to their careers as well. So the feedback on our program isn't just about the test scores, but it's about that preparation for life. All right. Well, thank you very much, Rebecca. Again, our co-founder of our radio program here, Education America, and the headmaster of Liberty Classical Academy. Again, this is the fourth and final show of the relaunch of our wonderful radio program here at Education America. If you'd like to follow us online, you can do so at education-america.org. Also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. And we will hope to hear and see you next weekend. And Instagram, too. Instagram is, too. Don't forget that. Yes. (laughs) All right. Have a good night. Yep. Thanks, Mark.